As you join us this morning, we want to welcome you back. Thank you for being part of our television family. What a great privilege it is to be able to come into your home each week or when you listen to us online. God is doing some unique things in our life at Family of Grace, and I'm so excited about what He's doing in your life. At Family of Grace, you know it's our greatest desire to continue to break through those barriers of what of, of, of that society puts in our pathway. And as we go through those barriers, God is connecting us with people from every demographic, and we thank the Lord for you. I want to say thank you for those of you who have, who have stopped us uh, on the streets, uh, in stores, uh, letting us know how much this program means to you. Thank you to those of you who are writing in, emailing, sending letters, making phone calls, and thank you for those of you who believe in this ministry and are contributing financially to help us break through the barriers, to help us make a difference. This morning, we have a message, I believe, that will help change your life. It's called The Uncomfortable Gospel. If you have your Bible, take it and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Today, I want to talk to you for a few moments about the subject of the uncomfortable gospel. You say, well, Pastor, if it gets a little any more uncomfortable than it's been over the last several over the last month, I don't know if I can handle it, amen? And uh, we, we live in a day and time where Christianity seems to be shallowing out under the guise of situ- the situational gospel, the, uh, as I like to call it, the pop cultural gospel. Think about the definition of pop culture. Pop culture is, uh, pop culture is anything that soothes the masses. It's anything that begins to take over the majority and people began to move in that. I was reading a a article this week where uh, a large portion of our younger generations actually believe and and, uh, cling to the the principle of socialism. I'm not going to preach a political sermon today, but you think, where did that come from? I mean, that wasn't what our country was founded on. And so we think about it, it's what begins to soothe the masses, what begins to, what, what's popular, what's, the, the, the word today is what's trending, what's trending in our society. And so therefore, we have began, we have found ourselves in a place where we have a, our, our gospel that we are adhering to in our nation is whatever is trending in our lifestyles. Therefore, we have a gospel that is a pop cultural gospel. Whatever begins to soothe the masses. A better way to put it is, we have a situational gospel. In other words, our gospel, the gospel that we believe, depends upon our situation. So, if it fits, then it fits. If it doesn't, then we begin to mold it. We begin to bend it. We begin to look for loopholes. One of the things that made Justice Scalia so great was he said, the Constitution is not a living document. It just is what it is. It's a legal document that was written and recorded, and therefore our lives are, are applied around it and not it being applied to our life in whatever situation that we may be in. Now, the reason that this is crazy is that he was, he was known as the founder 
of the originalist movement. He believed in the Constitution the way it was written. Now, here's what's interesting. He was the only justice on the Supreme Court that really believed that way. The rest of them began to think about we can apply the Constitution to wherever we are in our lifestyle. Now, this is, this is really interesting that this uh, event happened upon the eve of starting this sermon series because that's where we are in Christianity in the Western culture. Our gospel is the same way. It, it is written, it is recorded, it is finished. The gospel of the Word of God is a finished product. Matter of fact, Jesus said it was finished. That's why he said at the end of this book, in the book of Revelation, it says anybody who adds to this book or takes away from this book, the plagues in the book will be added to him and their name will be taken away from the last book of life. In other words, it is a finished gospel. There is no need for another gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and the gospel is finished. It's right here and we hold it in our hands today. The problem is today that our gospel is beginning to be molded around our lifestyle. Therefore, we have come up with the terminology like we, we have homosexual Christians. And those terminologies begin to run counterintuitive to one another. They're, they're running in opposite directions. And therefore, the gospel of Jesus Christ, can I just tell you today, it is an uncomfortable gospel. It is an uncomfortable gospel. When we think about this, what does comfort mean? Comfort means to soothe. It means to console. It means to reassure, to bring cheer, to bring relief, and to bring action. Now, here's the interesting thing about the gospel. The gospel, when it is handled in the complete context, in context, will bring about reassurance. It will bring about joy from the weeping. It will bring about relief from the pain. But I want you to know today that we can't get the we we can't try to apply the gospel in a new way to our situation. You see, what the gospel does is it confronts man head on, and when man is confronted head on with the gospel of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden we're looking in the mirror and the truth of the gospel. And then we have to embrace the gospel. And the gospel begins to mold us into the image of Jesus Christ. We begin to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, not conforming our gospel to the image of man. Are you out there today, church? We live in our Western culture where we have a pop cultural gospel. We have a, a comfortable gospel. And I realize this may offend some of you. So go ahead and just, just, just push pause on your offense button and hang in here with me for the duration of this sermon and then be offended at the end, okay? But what I want you to understand is that we try to humanize the deity of Jesus and bring him into being a demigod. Can I tell you today that there is no power in humanity that can reduce the deity of Jesus to the uh, relevancy of man? Now, when we think about this, the Comfort means to soothe, and that's what many people want to do. They want to find scriptures. They want to base their whole doctrine off of one scripture. And they want to completely counsel out all the other verses, all the other chapters of the Word of God, 
because they have one scripture that they are basing everything upon. We have to base our doctrines that we believe in on the whole counsel of the Word of God, not just a little bit. Now, what, is, what does uncomfortable mean? So if pop culture equals comfort and the gospel equals uncomfortable, what does uncomfortable mean? It means causing discomfort. Boy, you don't have to be a scholar to figure that out, huh? I mean, it means the opposite of comfort. It's causing discomfort. It's causing distress. It's causing pain, irritating uneasiness, an uneasy conscience, stress or strain. Now, look at this uneasy conscience. See, the reason that we are, have reduced the Word of God to a comfortable, situational gospel is because we're trying to ease our conscience. Now, do you know the Bible says that we're to be conformed to the image of Christ? Amen? The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, I want you to be conformed, to conform to the image of Christ. Now, here's the problem about conforming something. Let's think about it in the terms of metal. You can take metal and you can make it any shape you want to. But the only problem with making metal any shape that you want to is that all of a sudden you have to begin to apply the heat. You have to begin to apply the pressure. You have to begin to apply the hammer. You have to begin to beat on it. You have to begin to mold it into what the, what the master is designing it to be. The Word of God is the thing that is to mold us into the image of God, not take the Word of God and mold it into the image of man. Are you out there with me today, church? Say amen. All right, here we go. You ready? John chapter 6. John chapter 6. This is, we're just kind of teeing it up for you today. John chapter 6. I want us to look at the, I want us to look at the 666 verse. 666. Boy, some of you already broke out in the hive. One thing about it, you may try to conform the, the gospel into whatever you want it to be to fit your lifestyle for a situational gospel. But one thing we know, that 666, boy, that's bad stuff. That's bad stuff. So let's look at what the Bible says about 666 in John 666. Look at what it says. From that moment, many of them turned back and no longer walked with Jesus. No longer accompanied Jesus. In the beginning years of my ministry, for the first 10 years, I would probably average about 20 revivals a year. <clears throat> and one of the greatest tragedies about <clears throat> that going from church to church and back to churches was that you would always see, you would go back and you would remember somebody that was so on fire a year ago and you would go back a year later or two years later and you'd say, what about old so-and-so? What, what about that young lady that was so sold out and gave her heart? Oh, oh brother, she, I uh, know, she, yeah, but, uh, well, you know, you know, pastor, uh, I mean, it was always a story. And one of the greatest heartbreaks was there was people who signed up and they said, boy, I love Jesus. This I know. I love Jesus. I want to sell out. I want to follow him. I want to obey him. I want to walk with him. But then you come back and they're no longer walking with him. We don't have to go to another church to figure that out. We can look right here around our surroundings. There's people all of a sudden. When they move on, they begin to say things like this. Well, I just wouldn't be in fed anymore. You know, I, I wouldn't be in fed. The preacher wouldn't feed me. The worship wasn't moving me. The mission, but the bottom line is it normally boiled down to the mission. The mission was molding them into something that they did not want to be. And so in this verse, 666, 
Jesus says, and then many of them walked with him no more. Now let me just tee this up for you real quickly. Because I don't have time to read 70 verses. Can you say amen? So John chapter 6 starts off with this issue of bread. John the Baptist had just been beheaded. Jesus said, I want to come apart and I want to spend time with the Father. He gets over there. There's a multitude of people. Jesus is moved with compassion, begins to heal them. And then after healing a bunch of them and performing miracles, he tells the disciples, let's feed them. And so all of a sudden they said, even if we had the money, 200 denarii wouldn't be enough. And even if we had the money, where are we going to buy the bread? You see, they continue to look at things through the situational lens of humanity and Jesus. But they came up, one little boy had brought a sack lunch and a few bony fish and a couple of naughty biscuits and he brought that to Jesus and said here's what we found but what are they with so many and Jesus said just have them divide up in groups of 50 and you leave the rest up to me so they divided up into groups of 50 and Jesus blessed the the food and all of a sudden there was enough for the first ever doggy baskets every disciple got a basket collected the leftovers got on a ship put the the basket right there at their feet, and was sailed off into a storm. You know what happened next? All of a sudden, they thought they were going down, and then Jesus came and rescued them. Now, what happened was Jesus sailed the disciples off into a storm. Can you, you understand that? Jesus, knowing everything, knew that a storm would be coming. He sailed his disciples off into the storm. Now you say, oh my goodness, why would Jesus do such a thing? Because sometimes it takes the storms of life to get us to a place of discomfort that we are willing to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ to allow the gospel to work the real work in our life. Now, when we think about this, all of a sudden, Jesus said, I'm going back up the mountain to pray because he had never had intimacy with God. So he went back up the mountain to pray. And then all of a sudden, he went and appeared to the boys in the middle of the night. You know the story. Peter walked on water, and then he sank. And then Jesus picked him up, and they went back to the shore, and they went to the other side. Stay with me. I'm giving you the previous 30 verses here. And so all of a sudden, the next morning, they see Jesus on the other side, and they're scratching their heads. And they're thinking, wait a minute. There was only one boat. And the disciples left in that boat. How did this Jesus get to the other side because there was no boat? All of a sudden, the deity of God began to complex, uh, confuse the humanity of man. And so all of a sudden, now Jesus is on the other side. The boys are on the other side. The people's on the other side. And they can't figure out how he got over there. See, if you could begin to figure out the mystery of the gospel, all of a sudden, the gospel would not be big enough to take care of your problem. Now, when we think about this, they went to the other side, and as they went to the other side, they began to have the miracles, and miracles began to take place. Now, here's the interesting thing. Jesus began to talk to them. They began to talk about miracles. He said, some of you came after me not just for the miracle, but you wanted the bread. You tasted the bread. You tasted the fruit of the miracle, and you wanted to continue to walk with me. And he goes into this conversation, and we pick it up here, and we begin to see some interesting things. And they begin to say, oh, yeah, you know that bread that, you, that, the, that was miraculous? We remember some miraculous bread. We remember our great 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 grandpa telling us about how they were in the middle of the wilderness all of a sudden bread would come down from heaven and all of a sudden they would eat that bread and it would fill them for the day and the next morning bread would come back down they told them the story of the manna that came down from the wilderness stay with me because there's a lot happening around a loaf of bread right here and so all of a sudden Jesus says let me tell you about some bread I am the bread of life he who comes to me will never ever hunger again Now, stay with me because we're just teeing this thing up this morning. You with me? Say amen. And so he says, all of a sudden, now we went from the bread by the seashore, the bread from heaven, and now this dude is saying he is the bread of life. He has lost his ever-loving mind. And so as we begin to move through this, we see a couple things I want you to write down. 
we see the proclamation of Jesus Christ. The proclamation. Look with me, if you will, right here in verse 51. In verse 51, it is so interesting because Jesus said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The pronouncement. All of a sudden, there was this great pronouncement of Jesus Christ. And he says, I am the bread of life. You must eat of this bread bread. If you want to live, you've got to eat of this bread. Now, here's the interesting thing. And all of a sudden, Jesus stirred up some quarreling. He stirred up some contention. Why? Because the gospel always points back to Jesus. I'm telling you today, whoo, mercy, let me just park here for a minute. If you are listening or you're a part of any kind of church or any kind of preaching and the gospel points to anything other than Jesus Christ, they are preaching you another gospel and you better get not to the comfortable gospel not to the situational gospel, but the gospel of discomfort, the gospel of victory, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus was the gospel because in John 1 and 1 it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then in verse 14, Jesus said, I am, I am that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What Jesus was saying is, I am the Word. He became the embodiment of the Word. He became the central point of the Gospel. He became the limited. He was the central point of the Old Testament. He was the central point of the New Testament. He's the central point of the book of Revelation. And He was there from the beginning to the end and will reign forever and ever and ever. He is the center of the Gospel. He is the Gospel. Without Jesus, there is no Gospel. And in the center of the gospel, there stood a cross. And what Jesus was saying in this pronouncement really messed them up. It perplexed them. As a matter of fact, the Bible says they began to quarrel with one another. That word quarrel in the Greek means they began to wage war with words. There was great dispute. They were arguing over one another and they were saying, wait a minute, how can this be? How can this be? That dude wants us to eat of his flesh, man. He's sick. Drink of his blood. He's crazy. That's contrary to our gospel of the Old Testament because the Bible teaches in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Acts that you should never eat any meat that's not cooked and you should never drink any blood. All of a sudden, so in this passage of Scripture, these things are happening, and all of a sudden Jesus is saying, what's happening here? What are these things doing? And all of a sudden he's saying, you must eat of my flesh, and you must drink of my blood. All of a sudden they said, this is a hard saying. And and they turned and walked with him no more. The pronouncement that Jesus made perplexed them. And he turned and he walked. Many turned and walked away. And yes, sister, I'm headed your way. It was symbolic. Jesus wasn't saying, go get you a knife and come cut off a piece of my flesh. And then draw you a cup of blood from me and drink it. But what he was saying is, I'm, what he was saying is, he was pointing to the cross. The cross would be the center of everything. And on the cross, Jesus would lay down his life. 
and he would, his blood would be spilled on the cross. And so the same way we realize the Bible says in Leviticus that the life of the flesh is in the blood, we realize today, we realize today that the life of the Spirit is in the blood of Jesus, and without the blood of Jesus, there is no life. There is no remission of sin, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. And so in this dynamic, it began to perplex them, and they began to quarrel about with one another. He see, his blood was necessary for salvation. His blood was necessary for atonement. But the Jews could not handle the thought of the Messiah being crucified. Why? They had waited their whole life for the Messiah to come. Now all of a sudden you're telling me the one we've been waiting on is going to die? This is, this is messed up. This is messed up. This is crazy. And when Jesus challenges, what Jesus did was he began to challenge their religion. See, every, those, those boys, they understood. This, this wigs us out. But they understood flesh. They understood blood. Because their religion was based upon continual sacrifice. Continual sacrifice. Continual sacrifice. And what Jesus was telling them is, I'm going to become that sacrifice. I'm going to become the one. And all of a sudden, his gospel began to run contrary to their religion. Now, I could, I could park here for a while and start ticking off stuff. But I can tell you that when you take the whole gospel of the Word of God, it takes the whole gospel of the Word of God, it begins to run counterproductive. It begins to run the opposite direction from what many religions say. I mean, many religions have their, their pet doctrines and they have their things that they base everything on. Their whole religion is based upon a premise that they're looking at the Word of God through the lens of humanity. People tell me all the time, they say, well, Pastor, you're a Calvinist. I say, no, I'm not a Calvinist. Well, you must be an Arminian. No, I'm not an Arminian. I'm not a Calvinist or an Arminian because I don't agree with either one of them. Why can't I just be a Biblicist? Why can't I just believe the Word of God? Why do I need a man that lived in the 14, 1500s, 1600s, 1700s? Why do I need men to tell me what God says when I find in the Word of God that things that they wrote about run counterproductive to the Word of God? And all of a sudden, their doctrine is beginning to be applied around their situation and not the gospel to be applied around their situation. They're, 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 they're demeaning God. They're reducing the mystery of the gospel to the intellectual capacity of man. And the intellectual capacity of man can never handle the mystery of the gospel. It perplexes them. Puts them in situations that we have to, that we have to, we have to. Be able to align the Word of God with the theory of man instead of allowing the theory of man to be aligned with the Word of God. Why do we do that? Because it's uncomfortable. It doesn't soothe us. When the gospel tells us to be conformed to the image of Christ, we want the image of Christ to be conformed to the lifestyle of man. And all of a sudden, we begin to say things like, I really don't care what the Word of God says. This is what I want to do. This is what I believe. These are the things. You see, the crowds were perplexed, but Jesus gave them a promise. That promise is found in verse 53. And then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat of this flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life. 
Jesus still pointing to the cross, still pointing to the cross, still pointing to the cross, still pointing to the cross. And whoever eats of my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. For the flesh is food indeed, and my body is drink indeed. And he who eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood abides in me forever, and I in him. And as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he feeds on me, he will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your forefathers ate manna in the wilderness and now are dead, but he who eats of this bread will live forever. And these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. And then many of the disciples walked away. I said, this is a hard saying. This is a hard saying. This is a hard saying. You're telling me that I've got to sell out. I got to live my life conformed to the image of Christ, conformed to the gospel. That's a hard saying. And many of them said, you know what? That's not the gospel I'm looking for. I, I like our old religion better. You know, we could go do whatever we wanted to because we knew once a year we'd kill a lamb. We'd kill an ox and we'd send a man into the Holy of Holies. When Jesus said, I want you to become the Holy of Holies. See, the Holy of Holies is the place where the priest went once a year. Because the Spirit of God dwelt behind the veil of the temple. We know that when Jesus died, the veil of the temple was torn in two. And now all of a sudden, we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And so now, therefore, our wretched Broken lives can become the holy of holies. Now, boy, that's an uncomfortable gospel. Because we have to be conformed to the image of Christ, the image of his son. See, there was a promise and there was the problem. Many of them left. But then there was the proclamation of the few. It says many of them walked with Jesus no more. Remember, there was a mass of people there. And then all of a sudden, he turned around, and he looked at the 12, and he said, Hey, guys, it's where it gets real hard that you want to get off to. And Peter said, Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of life. Where will you go? Jesus is wanting to take you deeper. He's wanting to draw you closer. Will you take that journey with him? As we wrap up this sermon today, right where you are, God is wanting to transform your life. If you're in your living room, no matter where you are, at your office, what's happening, God can begin to speak to you in a unique way. All you need to do is just begin to pray a prayer, something like this. Lord Jesus, Lord, I just give you my life. Take complete control of it. Lord, I surrender it all to you. No matter how hard it is, I want to follow you. Lord, I want to be faithful to serve you. 
at that moment, God will begin to give you the strength that you need. Maybe you've already prayed that prayer of commitment and you just need a prayer, prayer of repentance and say, Lord, start anew in my life. Maybe you were one of those disciples that did turn and walk away because it got hard. Following Christ became very toilsome. In your life today, if you will allow the Holy Spirit, he will begin to transform it by the grace and the glory of God. At Family of Grace, if we can help you on that journey, please, please give us the honor of coming along beside you and making a difference.